Um, so as we're talking about, oh, I never showed the video for Adam's Road, did I? I just went right past it. Can, can we still do that? Is everyone going to be okay with me if I still do that? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's show the video. <laughs> can we get someone to tur- hit the lights? I grew up in Utah and, um, and just a very strong Mormon family um, and everything I knew was uh, this religion and so I really had no reason to doubt it and I had no uh, reason to seek a life outside of it. I grew up in a very strong and faithful Mormon home. Uh, my parents taught me and my religion taught me from the time that I was a young child that I, I had to earn my way into God's good graces. You know, I was never taught that his love and that his forgiveness were given to me freely, but that I had to earn them and work for them, you know, through my faithfulness to this religious institution. I wanted the salvational assurance, um, and I was trying to gain that through the works of my religion, through these repeated ordinances and all these things I was doing. I was hoping I could earn God's forgiveness and make peace with God. And I was exalting myself in this religion, and I was trying to justify myself to God, just like it says in Galatians, that uh, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So God had to break me. And I opened up the New Testament and I started to read. And I had no idea what God was going to do in my life. I thought that I had everything that I would ever need in and through what I had been offered through my religious institution. I had no idea that God could offer me something so much greater. And as I began to approach the New Testament as a child, um, he started to unveil his grace to me and show me the things that I had been missing. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through the blood that he shed, that my sins could be washed away, that he could pay the price, not just part of it as I always believed in Mormonism, but that he could pay the full price for my sins that he could wipe away the debt that I owe to God, that he could satisfy the demands of God's law that I could never uphold myself. Everybody gone? I am, man, sorry about all that. Hey, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> Thank you that there's a God. Okay. Because um, I know I am and I'm not it, right? All right. Um, the, uh, hey, we um, are going to jump into who God is. So let's, let's look at that. The first thing I think we need to understand as we look at, the God, at God as he defines himself is one, there is one true God. There is one true God. The Bible is very clear about that from the beginning. It starts with this premise. Um, I, I, I remember when I was in high school, um, we had a um, couple guys that liked to talk uh, really highly of themselves on our football team. And I remember the, the coach pulled, a, pulled them aside at one time and um, said, you know, if you have to keep telling people you're the real deal, you're actually not. And, and I, that has always stuck with me. That, you know, if you always got to go around saying that you, you do something, that you're, you're really not. And it's, it's interesting that the Bible 
just starts with the presupposition that God is. It, just, it doesn't try to prove the existence of God. It does not get into, you know, here's how we know and why. It just starts with God. God is. And, and we, we start from that very beginning that there is one true God. The Bible makes no apologies for its insistence that there is only one true God. And you've got to remember, it's easy for us to kind of think, I think sometimes we think things used to be more spiritual, more godly, you know, that it was an easier time. This, that was not the case at all, especially at that, at, when the point in which the Bible started taking shape and being written, the world was a very pagan world. People worshipped many gods. They worshipped a god for everything. There were, there were gods for all things. And these people spent their lives trying to appease these gods. They spent their lives trying to make sure that these uh, gods weren't mad at them. And imagine that because there's many gods. Any of you ever have more than one boss? Okay. It doesn't work out real well. It's usually not a good thing when you have more than one boss. You want to report to one person, right? Because what this person expects and wants from you is different than what this person expects and wants. And, and you need to have a chain of command. And so these poor people, people were constantly under this, like, well, I don't want to upset this God. I don't want to upset this God. Well, this God gets mad because I spend more time worshiping this God. And there, there was all these different things where you lived in one city, they worshiped one God. You move, they worship a whole other God. And now, you know, so there's also these changes. So in a sense, that was the good news. At that, at that time, when we talk about the good news of Jesus, at that time, the good news was that there's one God. There's one true God. Genesis chapter 3 through 20 documents how evil the world had become from just following after all these gods. I mean, to the point that, you know, I mean, they, they sacrificed children. Uh, they're, they're, you know, there was all sorts of um, sexual gods. It, it was a very pagan kind of culture and then God calls Abraham out and he calls Abraham out to, to spread the message and to, and to live the life that exemplified the one true God that there is one true God and that has been the message of God's people from the very beginning Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, you'll see chapter 6, 1 through 9 is listed. I'm going to start in verse 4. Incidentally, I'm going to talk real quick about that. You may notice, maybe you're new to here, and we don't, we don't talk about this that often. We don't put the Bible verses on the screen, and sometimes people want us to do that. Um, but I will encourage you. You have a Bible in your, there. If you don't have one, you have it on the seats if you didn't bring your own. Um, we try to do this so that you can actually look and say, okay, well, Genesis. I can find Genesis. It's at the beginning of my Bible. And just kind of scroll through and find Deuteronomy. I encourage you, even if you can't keep up with me, just do it. Because I've had people come to me and say, you know, when I first started coming here, I, I couldn't, I knew nothing. I didn't know my place through the Bible at all. But when I went, by following you guys through this, I've learned kind of how to find my way through the Bible. So even if you're a little bit behind, that's okay. Just, just do it. it you, you might find it's a really good exercise for you to learn your way through the Bible and then actually read it for yourself. Don't just believe what I put on a screen, but, but read it for yourself. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, take the Bible on your chair home and, and use that during the week as well. So, um, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one true God. The Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. So God is very clear from the very beginning that he is one, and he has preserved that message from the very beginning, even though oftentimes the church has gotten off course on that. God has preserved that message. So if there is one true God, what do we need to know about that one true God? You see, we live in an interesting culture. Um, the Barna, or not the Barna, the Gallup Poll Research Company, uh, in 2011, the, the latest survey they did on this was 2011, and polling the American public, still at that point, 90% of people in America believe in a God. They believe that God exists. But that can be a very deceiving thing. You know, when 90% of people believe that God exists, but the problem is, what do we believe about him? You see, I, I, don't think, I think it's much more important than just believing that he exists. I think we need to believe, we need to understand who he is. In fact, if you don't believe God exists, I think that almost is, is a little more freeing, you know, because, look, I don't even believe that he exists. But once you say and you acknowledge that you believe God exists, well, then it seems to me that it becomes very important to define what God and who God is, right? Because we live in a culture that kind of says, well, I believe in God, and God is who you want him to be for you, and he's who I want him to be for me, and, you know, we just are going, we're, it's, all, it's all cool, you know, we'll just believe whatever we want about God, you know? It's, it's like, you, you do you, right? That's the new thing, right? You used to say, whatever's good for you is fine, but now that's the, that's the cool new thing, right? You do you, right? But the problem is, if God is a real thing, he, he has a person, he has definition. I keep saying thing, and that's, that's, that's a wrong use of terminology. I apologize. If God is a real person, and he exists, you don't get to do that. You don't, we don't get to define something that exists however we choose. Let me give you an example. Um, he's not here, so I'm going to use uh, Mike Smith. Raise your hand if you, if you know who Mike Smith is. Okay. Probably about 50% of you know who Mike Smith is. The other 50%, you, you might recognize him if you saw him. He preaches here sometimes. He's our Camus pastor in Camus, at the Camus campus. He's been on staff here with us since the very beginning for eight years. Now, I could probably, just, just by what I just told you, now raise your hand if you believe that Mike Smith exists. Some of you are still doubters. Okay, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture. No, um, so... So, okay, I think, I think some of us are just too lazy, so, but, but that's okay. So we, we believe that Mike Smith exists. Now, here's the problem. Because Mike Smith exists, we don't just get to say that Mike is whoever we want him to be. Now, we have a, now God established that there is one true God, right? He says, I am the one true God. But, you know, a lot of people worshipped all these other things, and they called them God. You know, we have at least... At least four mics in this church that, like, I know really well. We probably have more than that. We have four mics who I know really well. Now, as a result of that, I don't call any of them Mike. I call them by their last name. You know, when I'm talking about them, I say Shelleritis or Smith or Hampton or Wolf or, you know, I say their last name because I don't want to, it's too confusing, right? Because I don't want you to be confused about who I'm talking about. I want you to be very clear who I'm talking about. With Mike, if we were to say, well, yeah, I know Mike exists, and to actually say, yeah, I know Mike, when it starts talking about, oh, I know Mike, 
Well, I know, I know Mike well enough to know that Mike has certain parameters that he wants to be defined within. He would actually be quite upset if people said, oh, yeah, I know Mike. He's a player. <laughs> right? I, I, Mike would be like, well, I'm not, what are you talking about? Don't represent me that way. Don't say that about me. That's not who I am. And he would be mad that someone would represent him in a different way than he is. For, as something that he is, in a way that he does not exist. Right? He has certain things. Now, you don't have to know everything about Mike, but here's the cool thing as we get to know any person, right? You may, you may say, oh, I know Mike. He's the campus pastor. I've seen him preach, and that's all you know about him. But if you want to get to know him, that's possible, right? You just, you get to know him. And we, some of us know him at different levels. We know him more. But the more you get to know him, the more, the, the better you can define him. See, the same, it, the same thing goes with God. We don't get to just make up who God is. In fact, I would much rather have Mike mad at me than God. See, once we say God exists, for us to just make up who he is, man, that is a bold thing to do. I, I did a wedding just uh, last night, and I was up at, um, at Snow Basin, and it was at the top of the mountain, and so you had to ride a gondola. And um, in riding the gondola, um, I, uh, as I got on, a friend of the bride got on as well, and she, I had my, I rode my motorcycle to the, to it, and it was a casual wedding, so I was just in a, in a dress, in a jeans and a shirt, kind of like I am right now, and uh, so she, she, when I, you know, we asked how, she asked, how do you know, and I said, oh, I'm the efficient, and she kind of was like, you're a pastor, and I was like, yeah, you know, and it just didn't fit her mold, and, um, <laughs> And uh, so she was like, well, what's your church like? And I was like, well, we're just a non-denominational Bible church. We just preach the Bible, and we don't try to put God in a lot of boxes. And, and so she kind of, from that, she liked that we don't put God in a lot of boxes thing. And she said, oh, that's really cool. I like it when just people are really open to who God is. And I said, well, I get what you're saying, but I said, we still believe that God defines himself. I said, we don't try to then put more definitions on that, but we do believe that God defines himself. And she said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, we believe that God exists, and as God exists, he defines who he is, and we seek to know that more. And, and I could tell she was kind of like, oh, well, that's not what I was hoping you would say, you know? And so I said, um, I said well, well, what do you mean? And she kind of did exactly, pretty much, exact answer. She said, well, you know, I just think people just need to quit trying to understand God, and everyone just needs to, you know, God obviously is there, but, you know, I, if I want to think God is this way, and you want to think God is that way, it shouldn't matter. So I used literally the exact, because I knew that's the illustration I was going to give, I literally used that illustration about knowing someone, and, and she just kind of you know, she did this, and, and she was thinking about it, and, I, and it was kind of funny because literally the, the gondola ride ended right, like, as we were getting, and I just said, I said, hey, I'm not trying to cause a problem for you or fight, but I just said, you know, to me, that's a pretty important thing, and I would hate to just wonder how God is. I'd want to really know, and <laughs> I kind of left it there, and so, so I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how. Uh, she's still there, maybe. I don't know, but But so there's certain things we have to understand about God. 
So let's look. Let's just spend a few minutes. I'm going to get into these, and I'm going to tell you, I am not going to answer these fully. You're going to, if you walk away from this and just go, oh, that makes perfect sense, then um, you, you, you didn't really even grasp it. Because these concepts I'm going to talk about, God, are, are, we really can't even fully define them anyway. We really can't truly understand them all and, and grasp how, how it is. We, we seek to understand it more and more. So, so we're going to get through just a few things. We're not going to even hit all the attributes of God. We're just going to hit some key things that I really believe that God would want us to know about him. And you're still going to have some confusion on it. That's why small groups are awesome. Because I encourage you, now you can go to your small group and, and they'll be mad at me because you'll ask them all these really hard questions that, that you get to talk about in group, okay? So, so go and, and talk about these things within your group and, and deal with it and read the books and really try to understand these things because they're really important. So first one is this. He is holy. God is holy. A.W. Towser says this, uh, he's, he's one of my favorite theologians, he says this, he says, there isn't any use for anybody to try to explain holiness. The greatest speakers on the subject can play their oratorical harps, but it sounds tinny and unreal, and when they're through, you've listened to music, but you haven't seen God. And what he's trying to say, he's not trying to say we shouldn't talk about God's holiness, but he's saying, no matter how hard we try to explain it, you're never going to understand it. It's, 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 God's holiness is unfathomable. Now, let me give you a really simple definition of the word holy. Pure. That's a really simple definition of the word pure. But the problem is, we don't even know what purity means. We can't even really fathom purity. Our, our understanding of purity in, in a human realm, in the human understanding, is, is still so tainted. God says that our, our purity, our holiness, is like filthy rags to him. His, his, his purity, his righteousness, his holiness is, is, is beyond our understanding. We really can't grasp it. Isaiah says this, Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to open. Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1 through 9. It says this. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. High and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean pe uh, people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard... The voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Now Isaiah was a prophet. So he was kind of a holy guy. He, he was probably one of the holiest people that ever lived. Not only that, at that time he probably was the holiest man on earth. And yet here's Isaiah 
the person that most people would have looked to and went, man, that, is, that guy is so pure. That guy is so holy. He keeps himself set apart for the things of God more than anyone else. And he's in the presence of God's holiness. And he, all he can say is, woe is me. Woe is me. And, but what happens? The, the angel comes and, or the seraph comes and, and touches his lips with the coal. And he says, now you're clean. See, we are called to be holy as God is holy. Peter says, be holy because God is holy. But it doesn't mean that we can be holy. It doesn't mean that we can be pure, that we can do anything that that makes us righteous. What it means is through our connection to him, we are holy. See, Isaiah said, you're, you're worthy, not because of you, but because of what I have done in you. And that's the same with us. We have God in us, and we are holy because of what he has done in us. Second thing about God is he is great. Anyone learn to pray God is good, God is great? Anyone pray that way? When I was, okay, when I was a kid, I did that all the time. God is good, God is great. Always made me think of Tony the Tiger. Um, and um, I really did. <laughs> like, I really pictured Tony the Tiger. And, um, but God's not great like cornflakes, okay? God, God is great Really what that means is, probably a better word would be God is awe-inspiring. God is awe-inspiring. Deuteronomy 10, 17 tells us, For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He's awesome. Remember the song, our God is an awesome God. You know, how great is our God? He's, he's, he's more than we can wrap our minds around. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 through 14, he expresses God's greatness with, like some, with these rhetorical questions. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? Who understands the mind of the Lord or instructed him as a counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? See, what he's saying is none of us can even begin to understand how great God is. None of us can begin to weigh out his creation. None of us can begin to give God counsel or knowledge or understanding. When I was on my um, sabbatical, I uh, got the chance a couple years back to um, go through the Redwood Forest. And I'd been through it before, but I was with, by myself. And I, I went on like a five-and-a-half-mile hike, and it took you know, a few hours to go on this hike, and I've, and I've done that before but always done it with other people. You know, and as awe-inspiring as an awesome as it is with other people, there's distractions, right? You're talking, you're joking, you're you know, just being aware of the other people. Well, on the, it was in September on a like, Tuesday, and there was hardly anyone else. I, mean, I saw two people in the three hours I was out there. And I just remember just looking up at these massive trees. And it was the middle of the day, but I was in the shade the whole time because of the size of these things. And, you know, I mean, they're, you know, you, 
just huge in their width and, you know, just constantly going, man, God is so awesome. And then I thought, you know, that, this is just one small piece of how awesome he is. This is just one small place in his creation. There are thousands of places like this in his creation that are just awesome. And then that doesn't even count space. You know, you could travel your entire lifetime at the speed of light and not cross our universe. That's amazing. God is awesome. Next, he's eternal. And like I said, we're not covering everything about God. These are just the things I would say, man, God tries to be very clear about these things. These are some very specific, clear things. God is eternal. Revelation 22, 13. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the beginning and the end of all things. He was not created. He does not have a creator. He is the beginning of time. He is not a fallible thing. He's, he's, he's inter- eternal. He's the beginning. He's the end. This is what Isaiah 44, verse 6 says. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. He says, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And he is a jealous God. It's important to remember that. It's important to remember that. When he says, apart from me, there is no God, it's important to remember that he is jealous about that. And we'll dig into that just a minute in the end. He says, and then the, the next one is he is the creator. He is the creator. Genesis 1 and 2 details that he is the creator of all things. You know, a lot of times on these things, we want to know, we want deeper. We, you know, we want, but how? How did that happen? And how does that work? And how is God holy? And, and we have definitions to, def- to talk about it, but, but as Tozer said, it, it doesn't matter how much we talk about it. We're still, we can't fully understand it. But if you think th- those four are tough to wrap your mind around, this next one's really going to get you. He is one God with three personas. He is one God with three personas. We call that the Trinity. It's known as the Trinity. And a lot of people debate and fight about the Trinity. They say, well, the Trinity isn't in the Bible. Isn't in the, Bible. the word Trinity is never in the Bible. That's true. It's a word that was made up by theologians to try to have a common understanding of when we talk about the three personas which God represents himself within, within the Bible. But one God in three forms. And like I said, man, th- this, this one specifically, you, you, you might still have a lot, hope, probably have a lot of questions on afterwards. And we can dig into it a little bit more. But the reality is, this is one of those things that I can do my best to, under- to explain in the uh, six minutes I have here. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you're, we're go- it's something you can dig in deeper on your own. But as far as doctrine goes, it's probably the most difficult attribute of God to understand. Volumes of have been written on it. Uh, many metaphors have been ex- used to explain this. All of them fall short. You know, you might have heard the egg principle, you know, where an egg is one thing, it's a shell, it's a white, and it's a yolk, all three things in one. Kind of works, kind of falls short. Um, the, uh, another is the man principle or metaphor where a man can be a husband, he can be a son, and he can be a father. So he has three roles and he's, he's one. But 
they all fall short. None of them really recognize and fully explain who God is. Now, in order for us to understand the importance of this, we have to understand how important the doctrine of monotheism is throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. We have to fully understand, as I said from the very beginning, God is very clear. There is one God. He, he makes no room for other, other gods. No one is allowed to have the same footing as God. And there's severe punishment for it all throughout the Old Testament. And, and so, so we have to understand it. You have to grasp that this is not a kind of well, a wishy-washy aspect with God. One person gets the credit, right? That we, we got to grasp that. that. God was such a big concept, and, and for, the, for the Jewish people to wrap their minds around, they couldn't wrap their minds around him, they, 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 and they understood that. They grasped that they would never fully understand God, so much so to the point that they really didn't have a word for him. Um, they, they actually put a grouping of letters together that were impronounceable that we've now pronounced Yahweh. Um, and they used that to kind of say, basically kind of say the name. You know, that and, and some other things they would use to say the name. And meaning they wouldn't say God because they didn't want to try to define him and they never wanted to even get it wrong in their pronunciation. They were so afraid of getting it wrong in their pronunciation. That's how much they revered this, the one true God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, that word Lord is Yahweh in the, in the Hebrew, says, the Lord is one. He's one over and over and over again. One God, one God, one God. Complete, not lacking anything. Remember, that was radical contrast to all the other cultures who worshipped many, many gods. And yet, there's a perplexing issue I apologize, my iPad just flipped out. Um, and yet, there's a perplexing ish issue in the entirety of the Bible because it refers to God as one true God, and yet, both in the Old and in the New Testament, we see a plurality in God. And that's a hard thing to wrap our minds around. Genesis 1, 26, I will encourage you to turn to this one. It's really easy. It's in the very front. Genesis 1, 26. Um, look at the creation account. God says of himself, he's speak, speaking about creation, he says, then God, it says, then God said, let me or I will, no, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, livestock all over the earth, and over the creation that move along the ground. Now, some people have tried to say, well, he's speaking to angels. Well, then, to understand that, though, you have to understand that the Bible is very clear that angels are nowhere created in God's likeness. And in fact, we are created more in his likeness than, than they are. So he's not speaking to them if he's saying create in our, in our likeness. Um, 
the only reason we would try to explain that away is because we can't accept the fact that God is bet more than we can understand, and he is one, and yet he has three personas. See, we were created in his image, we, meaning we were meant to live in community as God is in community. You see, God is in perfect community within himself. He, he's, he's in perfect community within himself. And we were meant to live in community. And we know living in community is tough. Guess what? It's tough to live how God wants us to live. It's tough because guess what? People hurt our feelings. People are selfish. People are sinners. Guess what? You are too. Right? We're all those things. And we hurt each other and we frustrate each other and we do all sorts of things. But we're created in his likeness. I mean, we are created to be in relationship, to be in community with other people. And that means working things through and dealing with it and, and doing what we need to do to be in community. I believe God values that so much that he even created man, when he said he created us in our, his image, he, he personified that in the way he created Adam and Eve. He could have very easily created Eve the exact same way he created Adam. He very easily could have created her out of the dust as he created Adam. But he created her out of Adam. Meaning that they are two separate individuals, but they have a commonality that they are meant to be in community with one another. Then we get from that, we get into the New Testament, and this guy named Jesus enters into the picture. And, and he throws things all wacky because he starts claiming that he is Lord. You know, people, the, the reason the Jews wanted to kill him, the reason that the, the uh, especially the, the political and religious leaders wanted to kill him was because not because he, necessarily because he was stirring things up. It was because he kept making these claims to be God. See, we keep trying to read around that and say it all the, that, that, that's what it came down to. He kept claiming equality with the Father, And then we read in, in John chapter 1, if you want to turn, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. John says this, he says, In the beginning was the word. The word, the word, word is capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. Jesus is often called the word. It says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. So it's saying Jesus was with him, but he, was, he is him, and he says he was with God in the beginning. Listen to this. Who made, who made the earth? Who do we already establish as the creator? Just go ahead and say it. God. God is the creator, right? Verse 3. Through him, the word, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. So now he's saying that Jesus gets credit for creation. But does God allow that? Does God give equal footing to anybody? No. Right? God doesn't give equal footing. So he's either God or he, he, he's being put in a place he should not be put in, and we're, and we're following a, the, the book, a book that should not in any way be used to describe God. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not understood it. So Jesus is given equal footing with God, and this is just one of the places. We also see Jesus saying things like, when you see me, you see the Father. Me and the, I and the Father are one. You, um, when, when they call him Lord, he, he says, it's as you say. 
Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 23, it says, when all the people were, were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized too, and he was praying. As he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit, so we have one form, one persona of God, descending on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven, you are my son who I, am, whom I love with you well, was well pleased. So you have Jesus being baptized, that's one persona. You have the Holy Spirit landing on him like a dove, that's the second persona. And you have God the Father speaking from heaven, that's the third persona. We see Paul spoke of all three as separate, distinct personas, and yet Paul was a strict monotheist. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When Jesus told people to, when he gave the Great Commission, he said, go therefore in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, this jealous, one true, monotheist God would never allow equal placement with himself if they were not the same. God lacks nothing. He is the judge, he is the gift to Jesus, and he is the guide to the Holy Spirit. I'll just close with this. There are a lot of people who maintain that we don't see the, Bible, the Trinity in the Bible, and like I said, it's true. You don't see the word Trinity in the Bible. It's a theological term that was created to help us better understand and define something that in the reality is we could debate and talk about it all day long for years and we'll never fully, truly grasp it. Here's what we know. We know God is perfect and we know he is love and his perfect, perfect love is expressed within himself. He's created us in his image. We are created to love. And Jesus said that that is the greatest commandment that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. Give all the love all. And next week, we're going to talk about this God, that he is a personal God, that he, that he cares individually for you. He cares about what's going on in your life. He loves you. He knows you by name. And he wants you to love him back. But in order for us to love him, we have to know him. We need to know him for who he is, not for just who we want him to be. He is holy, he is great, he is eternal, he is the creator, and he is three in one. We may not fully understand him, but as you've heard me say before, the day that someone can fully understand and fully grasp and fully define God, that is the day that I no longer want to worship him. Because I do not want to worship a God that is so limited that my human mind can understand it. That is not a God worthy of my time. That is not a God worthy of my adoration and worthy of me devoting my life to. I want to worship a holy, great, eternal God that is beyond my full understanding. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you. I thank you that you are great. That, that you are a God that will never fully 
be able to grasp and understand, and yet we seek to understand you. We seek 